A reading from the book of Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For, lot, for thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray with me, I will hear you. When you seek for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. And now a reading from the first letter of Peter. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors, as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people. Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The word of the Lord. Well, folks, how did things go with you last week? Pretty good? So, so, mas o menos, as we say in Spanish. Let me tell you how things went with me. So, Sunday after church, got in a good quick nap, and then went and had a beautiful, inspiring celebration of the birthday of the Marine Corps. That was cool. That's how Monday went. Uh, excuse me, Sunday evening. Monday, went to a beautiful wedding. One of our church staff members got married. It was a great time, wasn't it? Neil did a good job. Jan and I had a great time. Tuesday, I got to welcome, along with the rest of our family, a brand new granddaughter into my life. On Tuesday morning, Olivia Ruth was born. Thank you. She is just as gorgeous and brilliant as her older brother. 
Tuesday evening, we got to welcome a whole bunch of new members into the life of the church. That's always an exciting time. Wednesday, I got to have a great fellowship time with some of the younger men in our congregation. We've been getting together once a month or so or having a good time. Thursday, I went to Aviara with a group of guys and played golf out in the beautiful grass and the blue skies and don't ask us how we shot, but we had a great time. And Friday evening, we had a wonderful meal at a church member's home here, uh, a lot of old friends and Cardiff crack to eat. You all know what Cardiff crack is? Yeah, absolutely fantastic stuff. It was a great week. Don't you wish you had my life? Amen. Amen. Now, that's one way to look at it. Let me tell you another way to look at it. It's always inspiring. It's always fulfilling to celebrate the birth of the Marine Corps. But isn't it a tragedy that we even have to have a Marine Corps in this world? And Monday, a couple of young kids got married and set off on life together. But, you know, I've been around a while and know that sometimes marriage can be a challenge. And Tuesday morning, while we were all hugging and laughing and having a great time celebrating the birth of our healthy baby girl, there was another family in the waiting room that received news that things hadn't gone so well, and they were hugging each other too, but, but they were crying. And Thursday, the reason that we got together to play golf in that beautiful place was so that we could raise money to support the San Diego Rescue Mission as it tries to help people get their lives put back together so they can get off the street and into homes. And the reason we were gathered on Friday evening to have that wonderful time of fellowship was because we were saying goodbye to a father and a grandfather and a husband. There are two ways to look at life, are there not? You and I live life in the real world. No, duh. <laughs> of course we do. But many people think that we who are Christians, we who follow Jesus, don't really put our real world together with our faith world. Think about it. We come to this beautiful place every Sunday morning. This is, in many ways, my favorite time of the week. It's my favorite place in the whole world. This is when the family gathers together and we hug each other and we say hello and we hear magnificent music and we enjoy this beautiful space and we're amazed and awed about the great preaching and all of that good stuff goes on. Amen. Amen. And it's almost like, I don't want it to end. You know, can't the choir just keep on singing and singing and singing? But, but we have to walk out of here just like we did last Sunday. And we have to go out and live our real lives in the real world. That's not the way a lot of people think about faith, not the way they think about the church. There are lots of people who go into a religious life who adopt 
the tenets of religious belief so that they can get away. I call it sanctified escapism. Now, there are lots of folks that think that if you're in the church, and especially if you get to work in the church and for the church all the time, that everything is always perfect and beautiful and wonderful because after all, God is here and we love each other all the time. But let me tell you, it's not that way. (laughs) Life in the church, even life at the very center of the life of the church, can be tough, it can be depressing, it can be disappointing, it can be hard. Life in the church is normal life too. Some people adopt faith, especially Christian faith, because of the the future hope that we have for that time when everything is going to be better. And and we kind of just muddle through this life and try to gut it out every day, thinking that the good stuff is only going to happen after we're dead and gone to someplace else, that the next life is the real story. Some people in Christian faith try to separate themselves from the world. They try to divorce themselves from the real world in which most people live all the time. Maybe we go off to a new place and create a a new community that's full of people that are exactly like us and things will be perfect then, won't it, when we go away and create our own little utopia? The only problem with that is that if you and I go away, that you have to come along. And that's my problem, and your problem is that I have to go too. There is no such place as that utopia. We live our lives of Christian faith in the middle of the real world, in real time. That's really my point this morning. I'll say it to you again so that you can listen and that if you need to check out for a while, go ahead. But be sure to wake back up before I'm finished and pretend like you were listening. Christianity is about living in the real world in real time as a real person with other real people engaged in all of it with the presence and power of a very real and engaged God. That's what Christian faith is. Let's think about it again from the perspective of truth that is taught to us in the scriptures. Let's think about Jeremiah first. Jeremiah lived and prophesied about 600 years before Jesus. Jeremiah lived and prophesied in a time when the nation of Israel was on its last legs and indeed when it fell at the hand of the Babylonians. The Babylonian Empire came in and swept through Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. They took many of the citizens of Israel back to Babylon with them. In fact, that's one of the most telling phrases in that whole story that we just heard. God said, you're going to go from Jerusalem to Babylon. Think about what that actually means. You see, hundreds of years earlier, God had appeared to Abraham, who was living in the region where Babylon was. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to take you and make you a great nation, and you're going to go live 
in the Holy Land, in, in Jerusalem. But now, it's all reversed. It's all backwards. God's great plan is in danger of being destroyed as the people of Israel go back to a place that is not their home. Think about that a little bit deeper. Think about losing your home. Think about losing your possessions. Think about losing family members whom you love. Think about losing your livelihood. Think about losing your identity. Think about using, losing your life. Everything in your life that makes your life your life is gone. Perhaps even your faith is gone. Jeremiah had a message from God for the people. The people who were now refugees, the people who were mourners, the people who were victims of the real world. What did he say? The first thing he said was that God is telling you to build houses, plant gardens, take wives, have children. Keep on living life. Thrive. Live wherever you are, whenever you are. Fulfill the intention that God designed for you at the beginning of creation. Fulfill the life that you were given to live. It makes no difference where you live. It makes no difference when you live, as tough as it can be. Thrive and survive, even in the land of Babylon, even among the pagans, even far removed from all that you thought life was all about. God has another message. Jeremiah says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you. Pray on its behalf. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. When I'm taken off and deported into another place that's dominated by the enemies who have just destroyed my life, I'm going to create a resistance movement. I'm going to try to escape. I'm going to hate the people who took it all away from me. There's just this little thing about the guy who said, pray for your enemies. Here God says, pray for the people who have destroyed your life. Work to make their lives good just as you will work to make your lives good. Be a blessing. Be a light. Even to this nation that does not know me. That's what God said to Abraham, remember? God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you and you are going to be a blessing and a light to all the other nations. Well, now guess what? I'm putting you back with one of those other nations and you are going to bless them. God had one more message through Jeremiah. God says in due time, 70 years, a lifetime, in due time, I will bring you back. You will seek me, I will let you find me, and I will give you a future with hope. 
Most of the people who were taken from Israel and deported into Babylon would not survive the Babylonian captivity. It would be their children who would return. Only a few of the old ones would come back. But God said to them all, keep on going. Keep on living. Never give up. Because I'm with you. You will pray, you will seek me, and I will let you find me. Anybody here ever play hide-and-seek? When you're an adult playing with little kids, you have to be sure that you don't hide too well or they'll never find you. Don't you think that God could hide so completely that we would never find him? Of course he could, but God says, I will let you find me. God wants to be with us. God wants us to be with him. And even though we are refugees mourning the loss of a life that we've had, complete and total victims of the worst that society can offer, still God is with us. And we keep going. A New Testament theologian, Christopher Wright, said that Jeremiah's message from God to the people of God was this, that you will move from being refugees to residents, from mourners to missionaries, from victims to visionaries. And that's a word of hope. Of course, Jeremiah's word in that time was not the last word of Scripture we always turn to the last word, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us, the word of Jesus. Peter knew Jesus. Peter learned from Jesus. And now Peter is writing to other people that needed to know Jesus. We are now in the last third of the first century Israel has come back from captivity and a resemblance, a semblance, if you will, of the nation began to live again, but now it's occupied by the Romans and the Romans have destroyed Israel again. And along with all the other Jews, those Jews who have become Christian have now dispersed out into the Roman world and they're trying to learn, they're trying to understand how they can live as followers of Jesus Christ in foreign places dominated by foreign governments, foreign cultures, foreign religions. And Peter is writing the same message from the same God that Jeremiah had listened to. That message from Peter reminds those Christians that even though they have been dominated and still are by other peoples, they are free. They are free in Jesus Christ. They are free to serve Jesus Christ. And they serve Jesus above all else above anyone else. And yet in their freedom, as followers of Jesus, they also live in the real world, which means sometimes they must submit to governments, to authorities. They must live in the place where they live now, not necessarily of their own choosing, in the time in which they live, not necessarily of their own choosing. 
How many of you are living a life that is purely, completely, 100% of your own design? How many of you chose to be born where you were born? In the time in which you were be born? How many of you have chosen everything about your life? None of us have. All of us must live in the real world. And those first Christians to whom Peter wrote had to learn the same lesson. They had to learn how to live dominated by foreign governments. They had to learn how to live among peoples who did not think or live the way they did. But even in the midst of all of that, Peter would say you must honor the emperor. You must love others. You must revere only God. And so Jeremiah and Peter say the same thing. We live our lives day by day in the real world in real time, doing the best we can to fulfill our God-given purpose, knowing that we have the help and presence of a God who is with us. And that's great theology. Let me share with you some ways that it actually works today. One of them is obvious. It was standing here in front of us with about 800 people who were involved with the missions of our church. All those folks who are working to feed people and house people and clothe people and help people lift themselves up out of the disasters that sometimes happen in their lives, all of the things that we do in mission in the life of this church are about how we engage the real world with real people in real time with the real gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the ways it happens. But there's more. Saturday evening, we'll have a beautiful story told here that happened over a hundred years ago now about people who were living in the midst of one of the most real and terrible situations in which you can find yourself. Christians, Christians who were shooting at each other, killing each other, and yet they stopped for a few hours to celebrate the birth of the Savior with each other. They put down their guns. They sang Christmas carols together. They took the few meager things that they had in those dirty, stinking, filthy, rat-infested, flooded trenches and gave gifts to each other. That's real faith in a real world. But you don't have to go back a hundred years you can go today to places all over the world, places that I told you about last week, places where not just Christians, but all people have literally lost their homes, their livelihoods, their families, their lives, and now they have to try to live somewhere else. Many with no hope of ever going home. That's the real world for most folks of the Middle East. It's a real world that we try to help them live in and live with and conquer and survive. But we don't even have to go that far. We can look right here. 
What is the real world that God has given you to live in? Who are the people that God has given you to love? You're sitting right next to some of them today. You're sitting next to real people that God wants you to love. These are your people. You don't need to go far to find them. They're everywhere. What's the job that God has given you to engage today? Maybe it's a job that you make money at. Maybe it's not a job that you make any money at. What's the job that God has given you to do that you can do well? What are the tasks that God has given you to accomplish? Where is the place that God has put you to live? Yeah, maybe you want to move somewhere else. Maybe you left somewhere else to move here. Whatever the case may be, you're here right now in this place that God has given you to be a blessing to. What is the government to which we all submit? We all live under many forms of government, but not all Christians around the world live under the same form of government, and yet they still can be and are Christian. How about just you? Who's the you that God has given you? Has God given you incredible intellect and amazing power and charismatic personality and physical beauty and all those things? Or what combination has God given to you? How are you going to manage that? How are you going to use your mind, your character, your body, your passions, your abilities, your very self in this world today? right here and right now. Christian faith is about loving the whole world and it's about loving the actual world. Not leaving it, not forsaking it, not pretending that it's something else, but loving it as God loves it. Never giving up, always looking for ways to create and give and love always celebrating the good that happens somewhere else, always doing what we can do and not fretting about what we cannot, always living at peace even in the midst of the turmoil and tribulation of this world. We follow him in whom all things are gathered up and reconciled and redeemed and restored and moving forward into God's plan a plan for our welfare and not for harm, a plan to give us a future with hope. Amen.